1: common faith should result in a common practice. So he says we must avoid partiality, favoritism, prejudice. Why is this so important? Everybody that's been born is born in the image of God. created in the image of God, and they look at them differently because of outward appearance. There's a lot of ways this occurs, and I want you to understand that, but most recently this has been in the news because of some apparent acts of racism, because of the deaths of George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and others. And it's called some of us who may have grown up in this and we don't look at ourselves as having a racist mentality to really investigate why is there such pain? Why is there such sorrow? And I want to help you with some of that because some of you, you're like me, your, your skin color is more in common with mine. And, and maybe this idea of systemic or systematic racism is hard for you to get your head around I was recently with my friend, Willie Rice, the pastor of Calvary in Clearwater, and I thought he summed this up so well. So I just want to read his summary. In 1619, the first slaves were brought into the English colonies in North America. Slavery would be legal until 1863. And the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, which was finally ratified in December of 1865. So from 1619 to 1865, there was legalized slavery in America. That's 246 years. That's more years in time than from 220 to 1776, 244 years. However, for another 100 years after the war, Racism was codified into segregation. Black people were treated as lesser citizens and were systematically denied many civil rights as well as numerous societal opportunities. It was structured and systematized into the laws of our land. For at least 344 years, racism was reflected in the laws and the culture of our country, even through civil rights legislation. In the 1960s, it did not necessarily change our hearts. We can celebrate much progress that's been made, but those of us who think it's something in the distant past and has no bearing upon today need to think again. We are less than 60 years removed from segregation and trying to overcome a stain that lasted over 340 years. So here are some facts about realities for black Americans. The average black family in America has 60% of the income of the average white family. Only 10% of the household wealth. Generational structural processes that have affected racism cause this disparity. For example, the number one source of intergenerational wealth in America is home ownership. Yet in the 1930s, the federal housing system instituted a coding practice known as redlining, where they would only issue housing loans in certain areas. Redline were identified to the areas where blacks were allowed to live. After World War II, most of the suburban homes were open only to whites. In the 1950s, for example, 40% of new housing in Minneapolis was illegal for blacks to buy. 1950s, realtor codes of Ethics forbade selling houses in white neighborhoods to African-Americans. If you helped a black family find a home in a white neighborhood, you could lose your real estate license. The Federal Housing Association, in effect, funded suburban housing developments for whites only. And then there's the GI Bill, which subsidized mortgages for returning veterans, but it left 1 million black veterans out. In New York and New Jersey, of the 67,000 mortgages that were granted, less than 100 were for blacks. As late as 1970, only 20% of black fathers had access to a car, which was important because more and more of the jobs were leaving the cities for the suburbs. Add to this an aggressive war on crime, a drug epidemic, government welfare policies that sought to correct social inequities, but often undermined the family structure, serving to make it worse, the sexual revolution that decoupled sex from family commitments and responsibilities for child rearing, and you have a toxic soup that disproportionately impacted poor communities, specifically black communities. You say, Pastor... Why would you go into that detail? Why would you explain that? It's because I want you to understand that prejudice is a big problem. And we ignore it at our own peril. If we don't take time to look within ourselves and say, oh, God, show me those areas where I'm not looking at your created beings in the way that you created them to be looked at. If we're not willing to do that, it's we who are in danger. And that's what James is saying. Look at verse 9. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. You're convicting. By the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Did you hear that? The Bible, the Bible calls racism sin, partiality sin, favoritism sin, classism sin. It's not a preacher, it's not a social justice warrior. It's God's Word that says it is sinful to look at people differently because of their outward appearance. But James doesn't stop there. Because he knows how we are. We say yeah, but that's just a little sin. Somewhere along the way we thought it was okay to justify sin and we even begin to teach children that they could tell a lie but we call it a story or a white lie. And so it's not surprised that when we get older We categorize sin. Raise your hand wherever you are. If you've ever gone to the grocery store and bought a carton of eggs. Let me see your hands. What do you do when you go to buy a carton of eggs? You open it up. Why are you opening it up? Because you want to see if any of the eggs are cracked. And so you open it up and you see, wow, that egg is cracked. I can see the yolk. And so what do you do? You put that carton in your buggy, right? No. Because when you're buying a dozen egg, one cracked egg messes up the whole carton. At least for me it does. And James is reminding us that even if you're trying to live a godly life, even if you think you're holy and you're in church every weekend, even if you read your Bible and you spend time in prayer, even if you check off all those kinds of things, that you're showing partiality or favoritism, prejudice against people because of the way they look, that one sin is enough to separate you from a holy God. It breaks you. And then he thinks we don't understand, so he, he, he lays it out a little more. So supposedly you commit adultery, but you go to court and you say, but I didn't commit murder. Do You think you're gonna be let off? It doesn't work that way. James is telling us it's we who are in danger. When we ignore this big problem. So what's the solution? James makes that clear. He calls it the law of liberty. It sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The law of liberty. What does law do? Law restricts us. What does liberty do? Liberty frees us. And yet James says there is this law of liberty. What is it? Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. The royal law. Why is it called the royal law? Well, perhaps because it was first given by God himself in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all that you are and then love your neighbor. As yourself, Perhaps because then it was reaffirmed by the king of kings, Jesus, as he walked on the earth. We have that when he discusses the great commandment. What's the most important command, he was asked by a lawyer. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps it's the royal law because when we fulfill this law, we become like kings. Because we're freed up to live our best lives. Perhaps it's the royal law because it trumps all other laws. When you're guided by this law all the other laws somehow seem to fall in place. If, if you begin to love others as you desire to be loved, if, if you begin to treat others as you want to be treated, if you begin to look at others as you feel like you should be looked at, it, it seems like when we do that, according to Scripture, our life begins to fall into place because this is the law of liberty. Must not be ignored. That's why I love this quote by Dr. Tony Evans. He says, Our racial divide is a disease. Over the counter human remedies won't fix it, they merely mask the symptoms for a season. What we need is a prescription from the Creator to destroy this cancer before it destroys us. Well, guess what? He gives us a prescription. And the prescription is that law of liberty. It's the language of love. The truth is the only solution to the problem of prejudice is this law of love. The solution is not going to be found in legislation. The solution is not going to be found in litigation, though sometimes both of these may be necessary. The answer must be a love. A love that's out of this world. And hear me the answer is not in tearing up our communities, the answer is not in tearing down our statues. The answer is love, the language of love. We've lost our minds, and we've missed that which Scripture says is simple because it doesn't make sense. Because it's out of this world. Think about this for a second. God's people followed the system of laws. And in the Old Testament, God had set up all of these sacrifices to atone for their sins as they failed to achieve the standard of these laws. But God knew that his imperfect creation, though made in his image, could never fulfill the standard of his law. We could never live up to God's law. So he created a standard that was guided by love. And his out-of-this-world love for us is the only way we have a relationship with him. And then he tells us that this kind of otherworldly love is how we're to relate to others. I would say to us, church, the time has come for us to decide what we're committed to most. I don't know about you, but I think in my lifetime, this may be more clear than ever before. We have to decide. Are we committed to the royal law? Are we committed to God's law of liberty, the language of love? Our, our commitment to God must outweigh our commitment to anything else. Did you hear that? Our commitment to God must outweigh our commitment to anything else. Political party, nation of origin, race or preference or anything, our commitment to God must supersede all of that. Remember, law limits. And the law of love Limits me to love. That's why you regularly hear me say as a Christ follower, I don't have the liberty to be unkind or unloving. That, that's not something I can choose to do and claim to be his. Do you understand that, what that means? I don't have the liberty to be Unkind are unloving. That means toward Biden or toward Black Lives Matter. But before you amen, it means toward President Trump and our law enforcement officials. It means toward Republicans or Democrats, toward those who look different to those whom you disagree it means to anyone we don't have that liberty if we are guided by his law of liberty so church i challenge you it's time for judgment to begin at the house of god stop the hate stop the divisive rhetoric stop the blame Stop the stupid social media posting. What we used to hide behind backs to say, we now hide behind keyboards. Start obeying the royal law. It matters. And we can see that by how James ends this passage. In verse 13, it says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do do you understand what mercy is? Mercy is is when we, we don't get what we deserve. Sometimes we get the two confused in church. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. God gives us grace. He gives us our gift of life, even though there's nothing we could do to earn or deserve it. But mercy, mercy is when... Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. You know what you and I deserve? You know what we deserve regardless of our skin color, regardless of our political affiliation, regardless of our bank account, regardless of our last name? You know what we deserve? According to scripture, we deserve death and hell. But by God's mercy, we have the hope of heaven. And this verse elaborates even further. Because this verse says if we've lived our life as merciful people, God's mercy will abound in us. But if we don't, there will be judgment. So, go ahead, if you will, and live with the prejudice you grew up with, whether that be toward whites or blacks of people or different cultures. Go ahead and place your allegiance to the Republican or Democrat Party above your allegiance to God. Go ahead and pad your wealth at the expense of everything else. But understand that if God's word be true, a day will come when there will be judgment for our decisions to live without mercy as a reflection of who he is. I'm so thankful that God made that decision in advance toward us. If a person is convicted of a crime, it's not unusual before they're sentencing for character witnesses to come and testify before the judge. What what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, this person, in, in spite of what they've done in this incident, I, I want you to know a little more about them. And I, I know Greg messed up over here, but let me tell you about how he's impacted my life. Or, or I know John committed this crime, but I just want you to know there are these other ways where he's been a blessing to me. They're character witnesses. I, I want you to understand what took place at Calvary. You and I, deserving of punishment, deserving of hell, we have a God who loves us in spite of who we are and what we've done. And Jesus Christ, when he cried out, it is finished on the cross. What he was saying is he was saying, let me tell you about Paul. Father God, I know that he's deserving of death. He's deserving of an eternal punishment in, de- in, in hell. But I am speaking on his behalf. I am here to stand in his place. I am here. Oh, God. Show him mercy. And he does. I'm so thankful that God showed me a sinner mercy when I least deserve it. And I pray that I can live whatever years God gives me showing that kind of mercy to others. I love what the great black preacher E.V. Hill said when he was... Receiving death threats from the Black Panthers for preaching about a white Jesus. He replied, I don't know anything about a white Christ. I know about a Christ, the Savior named Jesus. I don't know what color he is. He was born in brown Asia. He fled to black Africa. He was in heaven before the gospel got to white Europe. So I don't know what color he is. I do know one thing. If you bow at the altar with color on your mind and get up with color on your mind, go back again and keep going back again until you no longer look at his color, but at his greatness, at his power, his power to save. So why must we rid ourselves of this sin of partiality? Because as Christians, we understand at the core of our faith is this simple principle. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. As someone else said, We might have all gotten here on different ships. But we're in the same boat now. So let us love one another. If you're a Christ follower, I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Be used of God to be a change agent in this area. Our world desperately needs it. And right now, they're not really seeing a difference between us in the church and the world outside. But if you're here and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I need you to understand, you can't be a change agent until you've been changed. Remember, the answer is is not ultimately in legislation. It's not in who's elected president. Jesus doesn't come riding on a Republican elephant or on a democratic donkey the answer is in turning to christ in repentance and asking for his salvation
0: you've been listening to the barnabas effect with pastor paul purvis the barnabas effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement but it can't be done without your financial support